Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome back to the Lantern Rouge Cycling Podcast presented by our show partners, Zwift, the online training platform that makes cycling fun. Torino Adriatico and Paris-Nice stages four and five recap. Also, will story time about my broken finger at the end, if I remember. Paris-Nice, it's got the stack start list and it looked like a good stage. I mean, you look at the stage, Quintana who did a crazy things in Tourism Maritima Duval. This is even better. 189Ks, they have the Col de la Mour, 7.5Ks, 8.2%, about 30Ks from the finish. It's not an easy climb, and it's preceded by other pretty hard climbs. There's then a 5K, 5% Norton Summit, about 13Ks from the finish. Wavanat in the GC lead, Roglic about 10 seconds behind him for Jumbo Visma. Who was going to try something? So Ineos, bike exchange for Yates, Arkea for Nairo. We were hopeful. Benji and I were romantics. We thought. Pierre Pielato. We, <laughs> we thought something would happen, but we also thought a break would go. But Benji, how did people DNS this morning? Yeah. Crazy. We had, I think, 18 in total riders that didn't start today, including the likes of Jay Vine, Bissiger, Grunewagen. So a sprinter gone in that aspect. Uh, Gino Mater, we expected uh, somewhat of a bad thing with him because he wasn't performing too well the last few days. And two riders from Quickstep, Lampard and also Stibar, which is interesting because perhaps that could have an influence for the upcoming races that they ride, the classics, if it doesn't last longer, because apparently there's some kind of flu going on in the peloton. Trentin was a different one, though. Some other riders also had, like, injuries from crashes, but Trentin had a, a head thing. What do we call it? They call it again. The thing where they hold a finger before your face. Concussion. Figure, yes, that's the word I was looking for. <laughs> Jesus Christ, my English today is poor. But um, that were the 18 riders that were basically out of the race today and included some riders we expected perhaps in the breakaway with the likes of a Sean Poussin, Nelson Paulus, and that Mater rider. But from that point onwards, we knew we had a smaller peloton, means less riders to control, and means also perhaps more of an opportunity for the breakaway as a consequence. Although we know that Yumbo was not one of the teams that had riders getting lost at the finish line, basically. Now, a breakaway formed, 10 riders in total, including Merku once again. I don't know why M- Mikkel Merku goes in breakaways. Like, I've said it the last time he went into the breakaway, because he's a lead-out. He's not going to win the stage from the breakaway. Is he there for fun? Probably. I guess he's enjoying it. Then perhaps he doesn't need to hurry himself for the time limit, I guess. Ruben Fernandes for uh, Cofidis, Pichon for Arkea, perhaps a satellite rider, depending on how the stage was ridden. Rupama, Madua, not Godu on this one, so he's still riding there. Jorgensen from Movistar was looking a bit poor the last few days after a crash on the Echelon stage, but was in the breakaway today. McNulty also in the breakaway after a crash on, I think, also the Echelon stage and a pretty poor time trial as well. Han van Hooker too, and that's basically the breakaway with Bonamour and Duel. So that's a, a solid 10-man breakaway, and he got a bit of a gap. Six minutes was the... Uh, 
total uh, max, I think, 6, 6.45, something like that. And it was Jumbo that was controlling in the peloton for the majority of the stage with the likes of a Nathan van Hooydonk and so forth. And basically, from that point on, it was a new reaction would start on the Col de la Mure, or we were hoping that it would start on the Col de la Mure. And it definitely did for the breakaway, because that's where we had the attack of the one rider that was... Uh, looking to do something here, the one rider that went to the car and then decided to attack. Who was it? McNulty. He's won, he came second in Trofea Palenza Port d'Andratz, won Trofea Calvia. He won Fournard Desch, ridiculous power data. If you read the article on lanternrouge.com.au website, you'll have seen the numbers there, outrageous. And if you have that form, once he gets a gap, you don't bring this guy back. Like 45-minute effort up and down is too strong. And I was surprised, actually, that the group wasn't marking him. He, he telegraphed this. He went back to the car. He made he was taken off all his winter kit, gave them his bid on, gave them his gels, and then attacked from the back. And I was like, Jorgensen, he's, this is the guy. You don't need to worry about Merku. <laughs> McNulty's the strongest rider in the group, even if he is a little bit banged up. And once I saw he had a 30-meter gap, I literally was like, let's just cut back to the peloton. You're not going to bring McNulty back. Jorgensen tried. Van Hoeker tried to help him. Madouas tried to help him. And, um, yeah, that was that. That was that I think. <laughs> <laughs> we just had to wait for the peloton action, uh, which was, okay, I got excited. Connor Swift was pacing really hard on the steep section. The Pelton went backwards. They had, what was the guy in the break? They, had, they have a guy in the break? Yeah, Laurent okay. Bichon, but I don't think he actually came into play at that point. No. It was indeed, like you said, Arkea moving to the front on that cold Lamure, putting some pressure after a bit of kilometers, so not at the start of the climb because they were waiting for the steeper kilometers on the climb. And it really was three riders of them hammering it for a bit. And Quintana not being in the fourth wheel of that train. He was sitting roughly in the Roglic area of the uh, group there. But we saw in that group that instantly Jumbo riders started dropping and Laporte was dropping. So we knew he wasn't going to be an influence today anymore. And in the future for GC. And then Wout van Aert was the next one. And some people were saying, okay, wow, he's he's collapsing on the climb. He's, oh, he's looking very bad. He's dropping already. And, oh, he's losing seven minutes after just five minutes. Oh, that's terrible. I, I honestly just think that he couldn't be uh, – he, he just didn't care about the yellow jersey, I think. <laughs> yeah, I think he's like, if I want to keep this yellow jersey or get third on GC at Paranese, I have to do a huge effort here. I have to do a huge effort on Torini, and I have to stay at the front all day on stage. Eight. Actually, stage eight kind of should be going for the stage win. But he's obviously <laughs> – that was pretty much the plan and preserving for the rest of his classic season. It did leave Roglic a little bit isolated, and this is what was curious. They had Dennis there. Dennis, unbelievably good. Kreuzweig dropped. They didn't really bring Jonas and Kusa in Italy at Torino. And Arkea didn't use Ede to keep the pace going. That was what didn't make sense to me. I get it. If Dennis is still there and you have no doms left, and Naira's like, well, this is pointless. I'm not going to attack. I get that. But they still had Eddie. And they kind of attacked with him in front of Dennis instead of pacing. No one attacked on Moore. So it was a bit of a – well, not a bit. It was, a, it was a big letdown. Like people started coming back to the group. Pace went out and Dennis just controlled. And um, I just think 
guys were looking at a big descent, 35Ks to the finish, by the way. So, yeah, GC Group all pretty much together over the top of Moore. There's that 5K, 5% climb near the finish. McNulty soloed away. Bonamu was very strong in the descent. He had a minute at the top of Moore. Um, McNulty, he put another minute in on the flat after the descent. His descending is still, I would say, below average and a problem. Uh, but you're not going to bring McNulty back on the flat or on a power climb yeah. that they had. He won the stage easily. I think his first World Tour win after he's won two other races this year. So, yeah, lethal. Last climb, Benji. GC group. Dennis is gone. Roglic isolated, quote-unquote. Was that as dangerous as it looked? Group of 15, GC guys. Was that a problem for Jumbo Visma? Honestly, I, I didn't consider it too dangerous all, at all, knowing that the final climb is not a selective one. This is not the climb that came before. This is a climb with a uh, easier gradient, and it's also like 5k long max. So they're not going to do the damage that they need to do no. to Roglic on this climb. And you also know that if the second rider in GC attacks, then the third rider is going to follow. Yep. If that rider attacks, then that rider is going to follow. But it all came down to the man himself who put his alliance at the front of the peloton. Not all. <laughs> oh, was, it, who attacked first? Ineos? Yates paced. Yates paced. I think that was after set... the Latour attack. Was it? So oh, okay. Latour put his team at the front. They uh, basically yeah, had right. the second last rider of Latour's team, Total. I keep forgetting the name of that team. Latour's team, it's from now on. Yeah. So um, the second last rider went off the front and then Latour waited a bit. <laughs> and it made it, it made it really obvious what he was going to try and Dang. do in about three seconds, which was attacked from the front of the group. And of course, that's not going to work. The He's second rider just stayed in his wheel. And from that point onwards, that's where indeed uh, Yates took the front and started facing at a decent tempo. And what was that for? Were they prepping something? Well, I thought it was Yates doing his weird Balcon de Alicante lead out on stage nine, where he just paced Roglic to the finish uh, behind the break. It was actually to set up an attack from Martinez. Martinez actually did it in a really good way. He did it just through a narrow gap on the right, whilst uh, Yates was kind of moving over and finished. Roglic doesn't respond. Martinez is 54 seconds at this point behind him on GC. We have um, over 12Ks, I think, left in the stage. He can't just not chase. But this is why I asked a question about how tricky this situation was. Isolation is an illusion in these groups with so many GC riders. If there's a group of over 10 riders and all of them are sort of in the mix and you're the rug which was in virtual yellow, 100% of the time someone else will chase, 100% of the time. There is never going to be some group cohesion where they all align with each other on the optimal thing to do and make Roglic chase. And that's what happened. Maori was pacing. I don't know where he is on GC. Like, what minutes is that? Three minutes and a half? Yeah. Then Almeida paced. <laughs> He's on three and a half minutes on GC. They're going. They're running for top ten, right? Yeah. And then Vlasov. Now the guy's like, eh, my top three's going. Vlasov pace. And Rollis just letting them be his domestiques. And it's predictable that that would happen. I'm sure if Mar- Martinez got to like 30 seconds, he would have done yeah. something. But it wasn't at that. It gets to the crest of the climb. Roglic just then shuts the rest of the climb down in the last two, three minutes with a surge, not trying to drop everyone. 
catches Martinez over the crest, and then it's going to be a group roll into the finish. So I think Roglic played it well, Benji. I didn't see any weakness. I saw him being more relaxed. Yeah, I agree. From the moment that they reached the top, I decided to jump off uh, of the TV and went on my Zwift ride because uh, from that <laughs> point onwards, I felt like uh, nothing was going to happen here. Let's watch the rest of Tireno on Zwift. Speaking of Zwift... Tour of Watopia on at the moment, did stage one last night, did the B ride, about 29Ks. It's pretty fun, actually. I'm still, I always get dropped on the descents, kind of like Danny Martinez on, <laughs> on this descent. That's where yeah, I catch up. <laughs> I know. Oh, yeah, I I ride, I realize on Zwift, like, I can't keep my normalized power steady. Jay Vines always tell me, you got to be smooth, like, keep it smooth and I'm really erratic on the pedals but yeah tour of utopia five stages what first one's already done double xp I think the power-ups are double the length of time as well which is kind of cool people using them in the in the group rides so yeah I've been enjoying it if you want to check it out below zwift.com for your free seven-day trial at the link down below but yeah Martinez Benji just a side note his descending is so shit like horrific we saw in the Giro last year he nearly crashed Yates in the descent losing wheels um but yeah you know what else happened in this stage did you enjoy the Latour sprint and the bike throw at the end <laughs> I uh I didn't watch it that last part I was watching Torino at that point so I can't <laughs> tell you well you missed some Latour action they the group just rolls in poles is bringing in for Hague huge group Latour, the brake's gone, so there's no bonus seconds. And Latour does full gas sprint, like 150 meter full gas, everyone is wheel, and then bike throws. And like, Pierre, you didn't gain any time. There's nothing there. <laughs> so yeah, Rolish goes into the leader's jersey. He's looking pretty good. I would say that, like, yeah, it's not optimal to not have domestiques, but Dennis did a really good job. McNulty took the stage, though, ahead of Bonamour, two minutes ahead, then Jorgensen third. Van Hoeker, Pichon, Pichon not dropping from the break, a bit curious for Arcade. Yeah. Turgis, Madouas, Duel, Latour, uh, Pacher, and the rest of the group. So they didn't even catch most of the break. Same for that rider from uh, Goffiters, right? Because I swear there was a rider from Goffiters ahead uh, in the breakaway. And then suddenly, Fernandez it was. Yep. And then suddenly we noticed that he was uh, not dropping back when Martin went for that bit of a solo oh move on the God. second last climb. So what if... Fernandez <laughs> dropped back that moment and Nothing decided to face Guillaume Martin up the final hill. Ah, I, I believe he could have won. You know what Guillaume Martin's doing? You know what I think he's doing? You know how Greipel, if he was in a break or a, a big boy before, before a climb in a breakaway, yeah. would attack on the flat before the climb? Yeah. I think Martin attacks on the climbs so he has a buffer for the descent so he doesn't get dropped on the descent. That's what I think is happening because otherwise what he's doing is inexplicable. Uh, but in terms of GC at Paranese, Roglic looking good. That's still 39 seconds. It's not five minutes on Simon Yates. If you have a bad stage eight, you can lose that. Uh, Yates in second. Latour in third after a good TT, 41 seconds. Then Martinez, Vlasov, Adam Yates, Søren Kras somehow still in seventh. Jack Hay, Quintana, Izaguirre. So Quintana will be wanting to move into top three on Torini. He didn't try anything today, a bit passive. And um, I think Hague will be wanting to use one of the medium mountain stages, I would expect. But tomorrow's stage at Paris-Nice. You think break again, Benji? It's medium mountain again, 215 Ks. No way Yumbo were going to control this. 
Yeah, in all honesty, it does look once again like that kind of stage where you're saying, okay, the breakaway is the one to do something here. The only place where I see a move happening, probably again Latour, is that second last climb, they call the Les Piguliers, and it's basically on the initial parts of the climb you need to do something, because the last two kilometers are, it's a fake news climb, it starts with 7% and finishes with like 5 kilometers at 2 to 3%, so yeah, you need to do something early, but I think it's breakaway. There's no point in a team really controlling this. And uh, we've seen today that we've got very limited amount of riders. So an opportunity to ride away because you've got a few teams with like two riders left. So they can't chase you. <laughs> UAE are paying Almeida probably like a million and a half euro minimum. And he's on three minutes going for top 10. Why didn't he lose time? Yep. Him and McNulty could go on the break again tomorrow and they could win. McNulty should probably be the favourite for tomorrow in the break. Today really reminded me of the Conrad-style stage in the Tour de France. It's like flats, then longish climbs and to get ahead early. I think Con- I think McNulty can win again tomorrow, but Almeida. And Mollema too, Benji. He's on 240. Like Mollema, I thought he stopped doing this and – he started going for stages anyway. A lot of guys going for top 10. That helps Roglic, um, but it's a bit shallow tomorrow. Anyway, that was Paris Nice, Torreno Adriatico, stage four. It promised a little bit too. Uh, 201Ks to Belante. They do a circuit, kind of like the end of the European Championships this stage. 4.2Ks, 6%. Climb they do three times and they finish on it as well. A little bit harder than the Kyrgios Duino style finish that. Alaphilippe won on stage two last year. We have Ganner in the leader's jersey before this stage and Remco, Alaphilippe, Pagacha, and, yeah, Michael Matthews a little bit banged up, Ineos, Carapaz, Gagan Hart, but Quinn Simmons in the break looking strong. I think he's MSR training, Benji. Yeah, I think so as well. I think he's training for the days to come. I'm also curious what he can do in the classics, by the way. We always know that he attacked early and then fell through when it actually mattered. Uh, but when it comes to today's stage, he was in the breakaway. I also don't know who was with him. I only saw him actually alone in the breakaway. I think he was solo from like the Fat Las Belante climb, which was that repetitive climb that you just spoke about. And that Belante climb was where we expected things to come. Before that climb, we knew that teams were already moving to the front on the left and right side of the road. We knew that Quickstep was already moving to the front. UAE was pacing or at least controlling it for the majority of this stage towards that climb. And the breakaway was not likely going to win, but Simmons did hold it out for quite a long time, in my personal opinion. Had roughly two to one minute on that third last climb towards the top then. But on that third last climb, which is with about roughly 35-ish kilometers to go, we saw Quickstep making moves, and we saw that Quickstep was moving forward with Alaphilippe basically leading out Remco on that climb, and they waited until the last portion of the climb to make a move. And that's where Remco decided to make a move, decided to attack, and he had three riders in his wheel, Gana, Pogacar, and also Jai Hindley. And the question there is, they're using Alaphilippe at this point in the race. Now, Alaphilippe before today wasn't looking spectacular, but he wasn't looking shit either, in my personal opinion. So, if we start getting towards that climb, would you have said, if you were the DS, yeah, we're going to use Alaphilippe as a lead-out for even a pull on this climb? No, I think... I don't really know what the plan was. Like, I know he did it in Droven course, but he's not going to just ride away on a 200k stage with three of these climbs from Pagacha. It's just not happening. 
all Ineos. So unless you're going to have Asgren, Ballerini, an entire train of people, and Honoré and Trice Davenines make the whole race hard, it's it's not happening. I, I thought yesterday I thought they'd ride for Alaphilippe in this finish. So I thought they'd ride passively. But I guess Remco needs to gain time somewhere. Um, yeah, I didn't really have a strong view on it. I was just surprised. I was expecting Remco to attack on that third last climb, though, as it was like the spot that was likely to be the place for him to attack or make a move, knowing they have Alaphilippe for a defensive finish. But I didn't expect them to use Alaphilippe for that move, quite certainly. Now, that four-man attack didn't last too long, but it was fun, I guess, for the photographers to have a bit of a cool photos of this stage. And then uh, basically roughly, I think, five kilometers later, that four-man group was gotten. Simmons still at the front, roughly starting that second last climb with about a minute. And that would thin down to around like 37-ish seconds on the top of that second last Belante climb. No real action there, although Remco and Alaphilippe moved up on the left side of the road. It was Jumbo keeping control right now after those uh, early moves by Pogaccio and Remco to make sure Vingegaard and Kuz could start that final climb in a decent position and then we came to that final climb the Belante climb and Simon was basically caught so that is out of the picture it was all coming down to the peloton and we knew that some people have a, a chance of winning this stage we know that Alphilippe is decent on these kind of finishes but he's already worked three climbs before so was he going to be the man for quick step we didn't know yet and then we noticed that some attacks happened just before the climb and that was curious because it was like a few people trying to get away including a group with Kuz and so forth Alaphilippe started bridging towards it, then Jonas tried to jump towards Alaphilippe and didn't really close it completely, and Remco was closing the last few meters. Like, I'm not sure what was up there, but I wouldn't be closing Alaphilippe if I was Remco. Yeah, I think... I don't know. And UAE Domestique, I think Costa, if he's here, was pacing really hard and Pogaccio wasn't in the split, and then Kuz didn't pace. I was confused by that whole thing. I was like, what is... What are you all trying to achieve here? Like, because no <laughs> one's working. It kind of just keeps surging. No one really knew. Bookman had attacked and initiated, I think. Bookman rises after an okay Andalusia setting uh, Leonard Kemner up. But yeah, it eventually was. Damar was in the group. He was looking really good and he was pacing for Pino, which didn't really work out too well at the end. And it was going to be a sprint finish up this 4K, 5.5% climb. How would Quickstep use Remco and Alaphilippe? Pagacha had no domestiques except, no, he had Soler, but Soler was kind of freelancing. Um, and it turned into chaos. It was a complete uncontrolled shit show for the entire of this climb. <laughs> it's pretty exciting. Who, who attacked? It was at least 10 people. Yeah, that's true. And it was also not really the names that you would expect to make the move initially on this climb. You know that Bardet is the kind of rider to go early on these kind of finishes, and he did. But it was Natnail Tesfacion that made the move for the... Uh, Drone Hopper just after that, and I love that. I love that. Now, I would have hoped that he would wait a bit longer so he can actually get a, a proper result on this finish, but it started looking like these attacks were going nowhere, and riders just kept following and so forth, and I think one of the next attacks was Keldermann as well. That didn't go too far, and then the group slowed down a bit, at which point it was an MQ Evenepoel that made a move on one side of the road. Bogacha was the one to close that, and... Attacks kept following, to be honest. Soler went for a little bit, was getting closed as well. After that, it was Miguel Angel Lopez going on the left side of the road, Remco closing that. We had Narvaez going at a certain point, and that's when Alaphilippe started dropping at the back after he basically worked for Remco today. So, I don't know. 
at this point in the race, it was clear that Alaphilippe wasn't going to be an influence on the rest of the stage. That was certain. And then there was the move of the Australian man himself, Richie Port at 1K to go. Didn't know he was here. Didn't, <laughs> honestly didn't know he was here. Um, I think he's doing the Giro. He said he doesn't want to do the tour anymore. Um, he didn't seem to want to do the tour last year when he was in it. And he was he remembered. He's like, the thing I most remember about Richie Port from last year was giving Pagatra a lead out on stage eight of the tour. So he destroyed Carapaz on Tol de Rump. So he's like, let's line that up again. Starts the lead out with Pagatra on his wheel. Gagenhart, I presume it was for Gagenhart, who was quite punchy on stage six of Dauphiné last year, similar finish against Valverde. And Gagenhart was further back. And so Port does the lead out. Eventually, I think Lefay, Lefay, I never yep. know how to pronounce it, attacks. For Cofidis, he won Giro stage six maybe in a similar 3K, 6% finish, destroyed everybody. Pogaccia bridges to him, gets the gap off Mas on the wheel, and it's done. Pogaccia hits his wheel and just continues on with, on with it like a 400-meter sprint, 350-meter sprint uphill. Uh, with, And then he made it mano in mano because everyone else is either trying to get the draft off someone failing or not failing – coming back in front of them or hitting the wind themselves. So he jumped ahead of Jonas. Pogaccia won the stage easily after Quickstep couldn't really do anything and Alaphilippe was uh, out of the picture. Jonas finished strong, but still two-second gap to him. Lafay on the same time as him and Avon Paul and Chicone on five seconds with Gagenhart, Mars Kelderman, Lander Hindley, all in the top ten. Aaron Baru, Benji. I thought he – did you expect more? Uh, I forgot he was at this race, but <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've not been up to date with the Aramburu fandom recently, and uh, he's 11 on this stage. I don't expect much from him in the coming days either, but uh, I guess it's good that he's getting somewhat of a, yeah, he's not getting a leadership. Maz is their leader at this race. <laughs> I also forgot that Maz was here. <laughs> yeah. But all in all, yeah, Pogacar getting that quite easily. He's playing this on easy difficulty, and uh there needs to be another Slovenian at the race to put it on extreme difficulty because yeah. right now it's not happening. Jonas is relatively competitive in this race, though, outside of the time trial. So it's good to see that he's getting second on the stop of finish. We've seen this stuff from Vingegaard before on the Copie Bartali 2020, as per guess. No, not 2020, 2019. Let's scroll down. No. Oh, my God. When? 2021? No. When did he write? Yeah, 2021. Two stage wins. And a second place on similar finishes. So my mind is not defeating me today. Jonas Vingegaard did that quite well. Got second here. Somewhat surprised, to be honest, that Evenepoel is still fourth on this finish. because I was too. I That's thought he was going to get like 10 for something after I saw him in the group and so forth. But it's good, I guess. Ciccone looking decent as well. I think he's going to the Giro. Yes, he is. Yeah, so yeah, he that should be fun. For the rest, I guess... Uh, I'm just happy that Damon Arden's one is still close in GC on fourth place, 36 seconds down after that time trial. Lost some time today, but I, less, I guess he's still doing something decent. But um, Thibaut Pinot getting 18 fair. You believe in it? Is it happening? Podium at the tour. happening? <laughs> Podium at the tour? <laughs> Mate, he's... I don't know what the point is. Like... At least he's 18th. Instead of let's have David Godu continue at Paris Nice with some sort of sickness. Every other team's like, oh, you got the flu? You probably should go home. I don't know what's wrong with Godu, but I was like, he's not in the break today. If he's not in the break tomorrow, like, can someone? I I think people 
it's not just degenerates that listen to this content. I think people in the actual cycling industry listen as well, which always terrifies me. But if anyone who works in World Tour and a team can let me know, um, if you're maybe a physiologist or physio or whatever, is it good training to be basically in the group header every day when you're under the weather or injured instead of recovering in a World Tour race? Is that a good idea? Just, I just want to know. Is that is that worthwhile? Um, Good question. But yeah. the opposite side view. of the coin, <laughs> the opposite side of the coin is that we thought we could have thought thought the same about McNulty before today. Nah, because he was just he was mentally cooked by the crosswinds. I reckon they he <laughs> no seriously. I reckon you, I saw him on Instagram afterwards. He was like, "Fuck this." He said, "I'd rather be in the real New Orleans, not Orleans." Um, <laughs> the crosswind stage and he crashed then the tt i think was fine 13th or whatever and then once i saw in the break i was like gg <laughs> he's gonna clean this probably clean it tomorrow but it's different like go to benji nearly got otl'd in the tt yeah. like groenewegg and beat him by 16 seconds and he was not trying anyway that's we've gone back into that i should read out the gc standings pagacha goes into the blue jersey uh, for the leader of Toreno Adriatico, ahead of Avonapol by nine seconds. Ganner slips into third. Then Aaronsman, as Benji mentioned, in fourth on 26. Gagenhart moves up a lot, 43. Jonas, because of the bad TT, is in sixth on 45. Then Lopez Soler on eighth. Then Port Kelderman, a whole host of other people. Rigoberto Uran is here, apparently. Tomorrow's stage is pretty similar finish, to be honest. Uh, I think we're going to see something similar. It's a little bit tighter. It's harder. But- you reckon it's a harder? lot harder. Yeah, there's a. Uh, I think with about roughly 22 kilometers to go, you've got uh, after the Strada Comunale Calderado, a very steep section, then a section of 900 meters at 11. Yeah, percent It picks right. up steep peaks and so forth. You go down towards the Madonna de Te, which is also very steep towards the top as well. I think there were segments up to 20 plus percent in this uh, finish on these hills because I remember it from doing that route review I once did on my own channel and then towards the end of this you've got once again the road going up in the end again a peak of 600 meters at 10.7 percent and the finishes are cobbles in between a very narrow section if I recall correctly so this should be fun but I'm scared that they will wait long I hope someone sends it on that Thermo Madonna that looks steep I hope someone sends it I reckon UA will send Solaire again he's looking I reckon they, like they sent Micah and UAE, I think they'll try with him. Otherwise, still the gaps are so small, which really goes against a break, unlike in Paris-Nice. Do you reckon – I keep going against him. I'm going Pogaccio for the stage win again. Yeah, Pogaccio is, again, the favorite like today as well, to be honest. But I do want Remco once again to go early, even if it doesn't make sense in World Tour races all the time. It's what makes stuff interesting and it's what makes stuff entertaining. I don't care if it loses in the chances of winning personally because I want to uh, want to see a good race. Now, I'm curious if Vingegaard is going to fight for that blue jersey because in the interview today, he was asked if, uh, well, the interviewer said to him, you're, you're getting closer to the blue jersey. And he said, well, what jersey is that again? <laughs> Wow. So so the interview had to explain that it was the leader jersey. And after that, he started talking about the guy in the leader jersey. Couldn't name Ghana. <laughs> so I think it was completely done by the end of the stage. Um, so it's your competition, no acknowledgement. Be like, it's just that guy. <laughs> He's just a number. <laughs> Killing. Yeah, certainly. But I'm afraid that's roughly it for today, right? 
Well, I actually have a story, Benji, oh, yeah. even though it's a very important story. It's a new segment. It's called Lantern Story Time about his yeah, little okay. life. And so some of you may not know, I actually broke my finger when I was in Valencia back in January, you see. That's why Zwift has been so good. Shout out, Zwift. Um, back in January, went to Valencia, a little training camp, you know, because I am kind of like the pros, following them around. And no, nah, I was actually too scared to run into any of them. Didn't, didn't say I was down there. I hit it on social media and was going riding. Anyway, went for a walk and a dog attacked Toby. And so I had to fight this dog. I'm a valiant man of the household. And I had to fight. It was legit though. It actually was a pit bull. It's like, and uh, oh, attacked was maybe a bit strong, but it, it had to be put under control. Got under control. Afterwards, I realized I've broken my finger. Um, it's, it's, you can see on the screen, it's still a bit bent. And but I was down there as warm, and I was like, "We've booked the Airbnb for two weeks. I'm not going to the doctor to get this checked." Um, my wife was like, "You need to go get an X-ray." It was black. I was like, "Nah, I need to get some training in where it's above ten degrees um, to get back on the program." And so I did that. Didn't get better. Actually, got worse. Came back to Andorra. Went to the doctor. He's like, "You're a fucking idiot. Go to the, go get an X-ray." Then got an X-ray. They're like, "Yeah, it's it's fucked, mate." Um, around like the joint at the top just at the top is like fracture um put it in a splint didn't need surgery splint for three weeks incredibly annoying you probably saw it on the screen i was had that gray thing the dogs also like toby kept chewing on it um came off went back got another x-ray and they're like it's it's semi-fixed you don't need surgery i was like semi-fixed we can live with and then I said to Jack Haig, I was like, man, you got a physio, one that speaks speaks English, you know, my Spanish is all right now. And he's like, yeah, yeah, you got a good guy in, in Escaldes. So I went along today, 10.30, got walked into the room, whole wall. It's like Yumbo signed Tour de France jerseys, <laughs> FDJ jerseys. He's got memorabilia. He's treated all the guys. He's been in Andorra for 18 years, treated all the guys. And he's like, yeah, I'm actually like, you know, Ineos physio as well contracted to them i was like that's great that you treat all these high profile athletes but you see i have i need you to rehabilitate the tip of my ring finger and this guy looked at me like what the what are you even doing andorra no it wasn't it was nice it's it serious injury for a youtuber on oh, yeah, a keyboard warrior as ryan mullen called me i need to have my fingers right so i'm on a three time a week physio rehabilitation program for the tip of my right ring finger uh, with the best physio in Andorra. So that's yeah. my story time. Any thoughts on that, Benji? Great. You just told like thousands of people that they should look at the camera to your finger on the audio podcast <laughs> platform. So great job. <laughs> great cross promotion. This might be a clip, I reckon. I'll have to put some B-roll for this. Uh, yeah, I don't have the dog attack. Anyway, we're off script. Ineos uh, off script is scripted. And uh, we'll see you with the Paranese and Terreno Adriatico recaps tomorrow. Shout out Swift. Ciao.